0: Hello there, Salim Omar here from the E-Commerce Money Map podcast. Welcome to another episode. We've got a special guest with us. His name is Aaron Ahuvia. He's a PhD. He's a professor of marketing and research psychologist who has been ranked 22 in the world for research impact in consumer behavior, and is ranked in the top 2% of all scientists in the world across all disciplines by a Stanford University study. Dr. Rahuvia is the world's leading expert on brand love, that is, how love works when we love brand, product, or anything else that isn't a person. He's authored a couple of books, and we'll talk more about what brand love is and how it can be achieved and why everyone should be paying attention to that book. Before I get into the questions, Aaron, welcome.
1: Thank you, Salim. It's really a pleasure to be here.
0: Great. I'm really looking forward to diving in and talking about brand love and all that. Give us a little bit of a backstory. How did you like get into brand love as a university professor in Michigan, one of the top schools in the world? Like, How did you find yourself in this topic of brand love?
1: So when I was a PhD student, I got my PhD in marketing from Kellogg at Northwestern. And I was working there with uh very well-known marketing professor named Philip Kotler. And he had this idea that like everything is marketing, right? Even dating, he said, is marketing because you're like marketing yourself to the person you're dating. So I was single at the time and young, and I just thought this was much more interesting than actual marketing. So (laughs) I asked him if I could do a, a paper on it, and he was very amenable to this, and He introduced me to another faculty member, Mara Edelman, and she and I started on this road and we worked together very intensively for several years and wrote a whole bunch of work and became the world's leading experts on dating services. And this is when dating services were just beginning in the United States. This was really fun. It got me on the Oprah Winfrey show, uh, but I knew that when I was getting ready to Go on the job market and do my dissertation. If I was the dating services professor, a good school was never going to hire me. (laughs) That was not going to work. So I needed to find a different topic. Mm. But I'd spent years in order to do the dating research, I spent years studying the psychology of love and attraction and how people fall in love with other people and become attracted to other people. And I didn't want to waste all of that work I'd put in. And so I thought, oh, I know people also say, you know, I love this product. I love this brand, whatever it is. What if I took this research on the psychology of love and saw how it might apply to this other situation where people love Mm -hmm. products or brands. It was very fortuitous on my part. People had looked at similar kinds of things, but nobody had looked at precisely you know, the psychology of love from interpersonal relationships and how this might apply and it became very popular work. So I was the first person to do any research on this. Now, if you put brand love into Google scholar, you'll come up with over 14,000 different papers written by people all, all over the world on this topic. So the topic has become a a big one and a lot of major firms really have love, brand love at the center of what they're doing. The most famous one is Apple, Mm -hmm. where internally Apple is very aware of brand love. They measure it, they study it, Mm -hmm. and they are the most loved brand and it's because they work at it.
0: Mm. All right. You got me excited. (laughs) So. What is brand love? How is it achieved? When is it useful? And when is it
1: not? So brand love is quite simply love. It's just love. But when you happen to love something that isn't a person, that's a brand or a product or a service or something that somebody's trying to market, could be a tourist destination or what have you. Love is a particular set of neurological and hormonal processes in the brain. So, love is a very concrete thing. And brand love is limited, in my view, to situations where you've got those same neurological processes going on, more or less. Now, there are some differences. They do neuroscience studies, and they put people in fMRI brand scan machines and They look at them when they're experiencing romantic love and family love and brand love, and they're not absolutely identical. For example, one difference is that people are more judgmental about brands and products than they are about, say, their children. But there also are a lot of commonalities, enough commonalities to say that there's a core similarity that makes them all love. And so then the question becomes, okay, is that really useful? And the answer is, oh my gosh, yes. Right, because people normally don't care that much about objects. Like we care a little bit, we we care about them instrumentally. We want them to help us. We want them to be tools, but we don't really feel very passionate about them. But a lot of companies want consumers to feel loyal to their brands, to be passionate about their brands. And so brand love is the psychology of what happens that makes the difference between it being just a can of tuna fish on the shelf uh, that you, you know, you eat, you buy it, it's fine versus something that you feel more passionate about. And there's research that shows that brand love, companies with higher levels of brand love have higher levels of stockholder return and return on investment, especially over the long run. So it's very good for companies to have it, but it's not easy to achieve. You know, one study I did, I just asked consumers to name up to, if there's any brands that they love, what are they? And if so, name up to three. And what I got was fascinating because there were a few brands, I've mentioned Apple, Nike, Samsung, some others that a lot of people love. And those brands, I know that several of those brands really take brand love seriously internally. Um, I've worked with some of the brands that do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, there was an incredible variety. So for every brand that was loved by more than 100 people, there were 250 brands that were loved by just one person. So we have this incredible variety of brands where this is, no two people in the survey are mentioning the same brand, except for like these few brands that are really popular. Mm-hmm. Past that, it's just like a free-for-all. Mm-hmm. And what that means is whatever your company is, there's probably already somebody out there who loves your brand. Very often that's the case because people love a lot of different things. But it also means that there's very few companies that have been able to harness this into something that's really going to make a financial difference for them. Mm.
0: So you see, it's, it's, you know, brand love is concrete. And so the listener, the viewer who owns an e-commerce business and they want to, I mean, I can imagine anyone who doesn't want to, you know, work towards increasing brand love because... That's what it's about. It increases retention, it gets more reviews, and it's all good. So what are a few things, Aaron, that one can do that would increase brand love?
1: Yeah. So I do want to, I will answer your question, but I want to back up just for a minute and say that actually it is not the case that brand love is a good idea for every company to strive for brand love. Because just as you think about athletes, there are some athletes that are built to be sprinters and other athletes that maybe are built to be powerlifters. And they can both be really successful athletes and do you know, win a gold medal in the Olympics, but you've got to do what fits you. There are some companies that are really set up where brand love is a good strategy for them and others where it's not a good strategy. And so if brand love, isn't a good strategy for those companies, the basic strategy, you know, at a very simple level is what I call useful, pleasant, and easy. So you want your products to be useful to people. Mm. You want their experience to be pleasant when they interact with your company and when they use the products and you want everything to be as easy as possible. Mm. And you just compete on useful, pleasant, and easy. And if you're good at that, if you're better than the competition at that, you can succeed. However, other companies, consumers are willing to pay attention to the company, willing to pay they are interested in the brand. It's a little bit more involvement on the part of the customer. There's often a little bit more emotionality. Usually these are products that people use publicly. Other people see them use it. So the customer's identity gets bound up in this. Excuse me. For those companies brand love does make a lot of sense. And here's how you go about getting this brand love. So step one, the product has to be really excellent. If your product is just mediocre average and you're thinking, oh, brand love is going to save me. Instead of having to make an excellent product, I'll find some other clever way to get people to love my brand. That's not going to really happen. So it starts with product excellence, but it goes well beyond that. If, If all I had to say was, product quality and excellence, I wouldn't be very interesting. This would be a very interesting idea. Everyone listening already knows that that matters. I hope they know already that that matters. So, you know, what do you do next? Well, you want something about the product to be enjoyable. People value life insurance and insurance, but I've never met anyone in 30 years of research who's told me they love their insurance even though people think it's very valuable to them. Mm -mm. It's got to have some sort of an enjoyable aspect to it. And if it doesn't, then you really are better off with like a useful, pleasant, easy approach. Yeah. With your stuff. So first you get the quality, then there's got to be something. It doesn't have to be a barrel of monkeys, a you know, a laugh riot, but you got something to make it a little bit pleasurable, a little bit enjoyable. And then you've got this crazy, interesting, hard problem which is that the human brain sorts out people from objects and it reserves love for people. And it says objects, we're going to do objectified thinking. It doesn't want to love objects or brands very easily. So you have to get the consumer's brain to think about your brand or your products the way it thinks about people. And there's three ways to do that. So the first way, which is the most obvious but the least common, is called anthropomorphism. And all that means is that your product actually looks like or sounds like or acts like a person. So if you're selling like a cell phone, you have Siri on your cell phone that you talk to her and she talks back to you that's anthropomorphism people can develop a relationship with that their brain responds to it as if it's a person and they very easily can come to love that so making your product look a little bit like a person or sound like a person great for a lot of companies that's not likely to happen um although look at scrub daddy i don't know if you're familiar with these sponges that are this huge success called scrub daddy mm. those are an excellent product practically and they made them look like a human face. Like who would have thought of doing something like that mm-hmm. uh, with a scrub brush for the kitchen, right? right. They, they gave it this anthropomorphic look and it really, it's going to a billion dollar company. Uh, right. So, so that's number one. Wow. Number two, which is much more common is that you get people to connect the brand to their own sense of identity. If people see the brand as a symbolic representation of themselves, Mm. then their Mm. brain treats it like a person. And because they love themselves, they come to love the brand. Mm. So that's the most common. You see a lot of brands that emphasize, if other people see you using this brand, it symbolically means you're this kind of person. Right. Sophisticated person. Yeah. You're a natural person. You're a rustic person, athletic person, whatever it might be. Right, right. That So that's the second big way, linking it to identity.
0: Right, you yeah. Know? I mean, in my mind, Harley Davidson comes to mind, Starbucks comes to mind, Apple, of course, comes to mind. Yep. Is where there's some so much identity. Like, I belong to this group of people that use this product.
1: Absolutely. And you know what's really funny? If you look up on Google, you just Google images, yeah tattoos of brand logos, all of the companies you just mentioned are the same ones that people tattoo on their arms. Wow. So Crazy. tattooing, it's not that that's, that's a big deal. Not that people get brand logo tattoos, but I'll tell you, anyone who's willing to get a brand logo tattooed on their arm, that person right. loves that brand. And that person sees that brand as part of their identity.
0: Ident- right. Yeah.
1: So, so these are all the brands you, you mentioned are just the right ones for this. And I will say just one more point on this that we can get into more. Our listeners might, if they want, if listeners want to contact me later and talk about this kind of thing. One way people want to identify with brands that they are proud of, that they feel proud to own and that they want other people to associate with them because it represents them in a positive way. And one way to do this is through excellence and quality. So you see. A lot of products, you know, you ask people what they love, what brands they love. Very often they're high-end brands, you know, a little bit more luxury products. You know, people in cars will say, I love Mercedes, even if they can't necessarily afford a Mercedes, but they sort of, it's aspirational for them in this way. Uh, although a lot of people say, I love Toyota, because if they drive a Toyota, it really does represent, you know, who they are in that way. But increasingly, especially if you want younger consumers and most people do because younger consumers, you know, if you get them when they're young, they'll stay with you for a long time. They want the brand to represent values that they're proud of. So they want this brand, not just to be a high quality brand, Hmm. but you know, I ask young people what they love. They say brands like Patagonia, where the brand takes a very clear sort of ecological stance. And you look around, you see a lot of companies doing social work of different Mm -hmm. kinds. Sometimes it's political. Not always. It does not have to be political. Political work turns some people on and other people off, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be that. It can be some other kind of cause, some sort of a cause that's less polarizing. But something that's connected to the brand that makes it feel connected at a deeper level than just it being a good quality. Mm. So that's the second way. The third way, and this is also very, very common, is you get the consumer to associate the brand with a person. And when they associate the brand with a person, their brain treats the brand like a person because their brain sees the brand as being part of that person. So we all know this happens in our own lives. If you ask the classic question, suppose your house was burning down. You only had a few minutes to grab something out of the house. You know, what would you grab to save? The number one answer is like the photo albums. Well, why do you want the photo albums? They're just objects. Yeah, they're objects, but they're photographs of people. <laughs> and I associate the photos with those people. And it's like I'm saving the people, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I'd say, you know, so, so a lot, you know, a photograph of a person is an extreme example of an object that in the consumer's mind is connected to that person. But there's many, many less extreme kind of examples. So people who love Ferrari. I was interviewing some Ferrari lovers a little while ago. And it was interesting to me how much they talked about enzo ferrari who is the man who created the company and how what an important figure he was to them and so their connection to ferrari is part about how wonderful the cars are but they also have this human connection to this person and so you can do that through a spokesperson for the company through the founder of the company or you can do it through like salespeople so. If you look at a business-to-business company, they usually are not brand-love focused. Most buyers for business-to-business products aren't buying on love quite the way consumers do. But they do borrow a page from the brand-love playbook. Mm. And they have salespeople. And it's very important for those salespeople to create relationships with the customers and it's that personal relationship that creates the brand loyalty. So when the customer says, Oh, maybe we should change suppliers and not use this company anymore. Mm. Something in the customer's heart says, Yeah, but Sarah has been my sales rep for years and that's going to hurt Sarah. And I don't want to hurt Sarah. So yeah. it's connected, you know, the company becomes connected to this person. Okay. And that's where the loyalty really comes happens. Because people are loyal to people, people aren't really loyal to brands, unless they think the brand is a person.
0: Right, right. So then it's, it's a supplement, it, it adds on to what the brand, the product, the service may do, benefits and so forth that it provides. But the salesperson is kind of a supplement. It's an add-on to the brand. Is that a true, would that be a true statement?
1: Yes, but I wouldn't personally phrase it that way because that makes it seem more like add-on makes it seem more detached like it's sort of separate in a certain way. Mm-hmm. but what you want is for the connection to the between the person and the company or the brand mm-hmm. very strong so that in the consumer's mind, the consumer doesn't feel there's a distinction the consumer feels that the way they treat the company is right. the way they're treating this person and vice versa. Right. right. Um, I'll give you another example of how this can work, which is just a wonderful, I think very entertaining, interesting fact. And that mm. is that if you have, say there's two, a bunch of people and they're all fans of Ford Motor and the Ford cars. One of them though oh. is just, you know, it's himself. He really likes Ford's. But it's just like him being a fan of the company. Another situation, there's a guy, but his friends are also really into Ford. And when he gets together with his friends, they talk about the company and they talk about the cars and they talk about their cars and how great they are. And so the company to him is part of this relationship he has with his friends. Hmm. In those two situations. The person where it's just the one person in the the company, that person is not going to be very brand loyal. Even if they say they love this company, their love can be fleeting and weak. But the other person who's connecting the company to their friends, they stay very brand loyal and their relationship to the company is strong because if they cheat on the company, they're cheating on their friends. Mm. A company isn't that big of a deal, but cheating on your friends is a really big deal. Oh, my goodness. So by making that connection, that sort of interpersonal connections, that's where the company gets a lot of the strength in the relationship with the customer.
0: Yeah, this is amazing. I'm looking at the clock and my goodness, time has flown by. This is so good. Aaron, any other bit of advice, wisdom? beyond what you've shared, something that I I didn't ask you that uh, you want to drop off in 30 seconds or a minute before we kind of finish off?
1: Yeah, a lot of companies think they know how important interpersonal relationships are. I'm here to tell you that however important you think they are, they're more important than that. You you know, you're still underestimating. Even if you think you're not underestimating, you're probably still underestimating them. Mm -hmm. And if you are Say uh, an executive or the CEO of a company, in if it's a growing company, if it's a medium-sized or even successful, like a multi-million dollar company, but one that's still, you know, by company standards, that's not so huge. A lot of the personal relationships that you make with people are going to be what really connects those people to the company. So you need both very high quality you can't substitute personal relationships for quality of products or quality service but you really need both and it's that combination of both that makes everything work mm. so that's would be the one like other piece of advice that i would give and there's there's really interesting ways to do that and maybe if dear listener you want to talk more about how this works you know we can talk uh, outside of this podcast.
0: Awesome. What's the best way for folks to reach out to you?
1: So my book is called "The Things We Love: How Our Passions Connect Us and Make Us Who We Are." And I have a website that's also called thethingwelove dot com. And on that website, I do a lot of corporate keynotes. If you're interested, you can contact me through that website. You found this topic interesting in other sorts of education and presentations around brand love for companies. So I'd be very happy to hear with you and you can reach out to me through the website. Or my last name is Ahuvia and a friend of mine pointed out it would be Huvia to remember Ahuvia. (laughs) And there aren't that many Ahuvias. So you Google Ahuvia, A-H-U-V-I-A, you'll find me.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Full of insights, wisdom. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Aaron.
1: Salim, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. You take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the eCommerce Money Map podcast. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find them at eCommerceMoneyMap.com or on your favorite podcast directory. Don't forget to like and subscribe. If you want to learn more about the eCommerce Accounting Hub, visit ecommerceaccountinghub.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the eCommerce Money Map podcast.